0: Now I want to start today by just asking you a question to kind of get things rolling and have you ever noticed that there is this thing in basically every organization but especially in religion and in the church and the way that religion and church can be presented or the way that they can be experienced, have you ever noticed that there's this thing that we call behavioral conformity, now what is behavioral conformity, that is this idea of this is how we do things here. If you want to be part of this religion, if you want to be part of this church, if you want to be part of this organization, these are the things that we expect you to do. These are the rules that you must follow. These are the the behaviors, the customs that are traditionally accepted here. This is what is expected of you to be part of this thing. And if you're new here today, you've probably already experienced this to some degree. You walked in and maybe you didn't know what to expect from us or maybe you didn't know what was expected from you. You didn't know what kind of the, the traditions and the customs and the rules were for you as you came in. You might have experienced that today. And it's this idea that like we live in these kind of bubbles, we live in these arenas that we're in and and when we're inside the bubble, when we're inside this, this arena that is part of our lives, everything that we're doing there, especially if we've been doing it for a really long time, everything that we're doing inside that bubble just feels normal. It feels natural. It feels like the way things should be. But if, if you've ever had the chance to kind of be in a bubble and then come out of it and be able to view it from the outside looking in, sometimes we can view that thing and realize, wait a second, some of those things that I thought were normal and natural aren't really all that, normal at all. They're actually kind of a little bit weird or maybe in some ways even a little bit wrong. Uh, I'll give you a perfect example from my life. When I was growing up as a kid, uh, years and years ago as a little kid, I can remember and maybe if if you were in the church years and years ago too, and there's still some of this to some degree, but you might remember uh, that there was a time where when you went to church on Sunday, the idea was that you were supposed to wear your Sunday best, right? This is what my mom taught me. You always put on your Sunday best and you look like just Amazing when you go to church. Like that's the that's what you're supposed to do when you go to church. That's the way I was raised, and so I can remember uh, about 20 years ago. Uh, I just have a, a little note, a little side note for for you young people that are in the room right now that think you guys are so cool and so hip, and you guys get to decide these cool, trendy, fashiony things. Just so you know, ripped jeans and jeans with holes in them were popular 20 years ago. So you're 20 years behind, FYI. And so I just I wanted to throw that out there. But but those were popular back then, and I wanted to wear what we called at that time my Holy jeans to church, and I can remember telling my mom, telling me, "No, we don't wear holy jeans to church because that's not what you're supposed to do." And uh, to which I would respond, the the snarky kid I was. I thought oh, church is the perfect place to wear your holy jeans. She did not appreciate that a whole lot. So, mom, if you're watching, sorry that I was a, a snarky kid back then. And. Uh, sarcastic with you. But the truth is, like, there was a part of me that thought that was part of the rules. Like, that was part of what you were supposed to do. And, and now here I am 20 years later and I'm speaking to all of you in ripped jeans. So uh, we've come a long way, have we not? Um, here's another example. Maybe you have, listen, every single one of you that are in this room right now, you have your own arenas. You have your own places where you have these behavioral conformities in your life. I got to experience one this last fall during the football season uh, in this area. We were, uh, my wife and I, we visited a lot of the games because our, our son was, was playing football. And there was a song, or not playing football, he was playing in the band. And there was this song that, uh, that previously meant absolutely nothing to me, that now has significance and meaning to me. It actually makes me think something subconsciously or maybe even consciously uh, when I hear it now. It's this song right here. Let's see how it hits you. Mmm. Listen to that. It's moving, right? Some of you right now, you're listening to this song and it actually has significance to you and the others of you that are listening, and and that's all we're going to play for copyright reasons because we want to stay on Facebook. Thank you, Facebook. Um, But some of you heard that song and and, like, you have that means nothing to you. And others of you, that means something to you because you went to the football games this last year. That was the walk-on song for the Van Wert state champion football team this last year. So that's the point where the cheerleaders would do their thing and the football team was about to run through the banner. And I mean, if you were there and you experienced this thing at every home football game, you probably, when you heard that just now, it probably sparks some memories for you. Maybe even subconsciously kind of made you go, hey, I should stand up and cheer right now. I, I should be excited about this. And if you didn't... If you didn't go to those games, you probably experienced the other side of this where it's like that means nothing to me. Why does this have significance? What is the point of this? Why should that mean anything to my life? And this idea of behavioral conformity that's in our lives, uh, for many of us, like maybe if you've had a poor experience in the past, this idea of, of, of condemnation that kind of comes around these things that we're supposed to do or, or not do or whatever, it may be the reason for you why you left the church in the past if that was you. Because maybe you felt like you, you couldn't follow the rules or you didn't want to follow the rules or, or you failed to follow all the rules that existed. And, and it's in the, in the middle of this, um, this thing we're talking about today that Jesus makes a mind-shifting, uh, earth-bending comment that we're going to look at as we're together with our time right now. And, and this comment that he made doesn't mean a whole lot to us. It's actually not really super important to those of us that are in this room now. In our culture, it probably is something that as you've read, you may have just kind of glanced right over and just moved right on past. But at that time in that culture, this comment was a massive, huge thing. And this comment that he made was actually a big part of the reason why religious leaders of Jesus' time ended up turning on him. And this is what he said. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. (gasps) I know, right, it means like absolutely nothing to those of us that are in this room right now, but at that time, this was significant. Jesus is actually saying, listen, People are more important than the rules. People are more important than my laws. In fact, in that time, the way that Jews especially, uh, the way that they celebrated and honored and obeyed the Sabbath was something that set them apart from anybody else in their time. This was was everything. The Sabbath was everything to them. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. this this is not everything. What's everything to me is people. People are more important. And ultimately, as we're going to learn today, what Jesus is saying about the Sabbath is not only true of that, but it's actually true of the entire law and unfortunately so often still today and especially at that time religious people can get this turned around and bad things can happen now you may be looking at me right now and going I I still don't get this Ben can you explain this to me in a different way that makes a little bit more sense Um, and, and I would say it this way nobody has children so there will be someone to play with the toys couples do not look around their homes and see all of these toys and go hmm We have all of these toys. Maybe we should have kids to play with these toys. No, we understand this. The toys are there for the benefit of children, not the other way around. Not the children there for the benefit of the toys. And I want to say something that is huge. This is a big statement. It may be hard for you to believe this today, but it is true. God didn't create us. God didn't create you so there would be someone to keep his rules. No, his rules exist, his commands are there, they are there for people, they are there for our benefit, they are there for us. God is for people and ultimately God is for you. Here's another, another thing I would say, God loves you more than God loves his commandments. God loves you more than he loves his rules. And so often when we get this reversed, when we get this turned around, what ends up happening is that people get hurt in that process. And so what we're going to learn today, what we're going to discover today as we're together is that Jesus came and he completely twisted this up. He completely changed this entire thing up, this entire system up that he was living in at that time. And eventually, the things that Jesus had to say would cause him to be arrested. They would cause him to be tried and convicted and ultimately crucified, all because Jesus refused to play along with the religious games and the religious culture of his time. And unfortunately, when religious leaders, and and this can be me so often as well, I'm guilty of this from time to time too, but especially in Jesus' time, when religious leaders used the law of God to manipulate the people made in the image of God, when they twisted it, when they used uh, his words in, in ways that weren't originally intended Jesus was quick to remind them that they were on the wrong side of God, as we're going to learn today. And for many of you, if you have had a a bad experience in the past with church or, or what you would consider religious people, this could be at the heart of why you have a personal struggle with organized religion today. So we're going to explore this together today. And the way that we're going to do that is we're going to go through the story of Jesus of Nazareth. And we're going to go through this story as it was told to us by Simon Peter, uh, who we know as Peter. And Peter conveyed this story to his friend, John Mark. Now, Peter had gone his entire life for over 30 years. He'd been going around sharing his experiences, these stories, these, these interactions that he had personally with Jesus. He'd been sharing these stories. And towards the end of his life, if we, as we've been talking about in the series, uh, towards the end of his life, he's in prison. He doesn't know it at the time, but he's not going to make it out alive. And John Mark his friend, is like, hey, Peter, tell me the stories of Jesus one more time so I can write them down. I think this is important and people are going to want to hear this someday. And so Peter shared these stories, Mark wrote them down and eventually they became what we know now as the Gospel of Mark. Now, the Gospel of Mark, this document in the fourth century was collected with a bunch of other documents, including what we have now as the Gospels, the the writings of the Apostle Paul, uh, several other writings. They were gathered and collected in the fourth century into what we know as the Bible. But today, I don't want you to hear me talking to you or speaking to you or as we read through this. I don't want you to hear the Bible. I want you to hear something different because Mark wasn't writing the Bible. Mark wasn't setting out to write the Bible. Mark was documenting Peter's experience with Jesus. And in Peter's experience with Jesus, he said Jesus had one message, one central message, and and he communicated over and over and over again. And it's the message that we have been going over together as we've been walking through this with one another, and it's this message. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near, which means you are not far from God's kingdom. Repent and believe the good news. Now, if the faith, if the religion, if the church that you were brought up in or brought up on doesn't feel like good news to you, then there's a good chance that you did not have Jesus's version, that you didn't have Peter's version. And this word repent that we've been talking about, the word repent there means to turn, to turn. To to face and embrace this new way of living, to to face this new way of relating to people that are around us, to face this new way of understanding God, this new way of loving other people. And so last week where we left off, Jesus was up here in this area called Capernaum around the Sea of Galilee. There's a bunch of fishing villages in this area and, and Jesus is there and up to this point where we left off, he had four followers, Peter, Andrew, James, and John that he had invited to follow him at this point. And when we left off last week, Jesus had just approached a man named Levi who was a tax collector. Now, here's what you need to know. Tax collectors at that time were absolutely despised, hated people. They were viewed as traitors to their nation. They were viewed as traitors to their family, traitors to their friends. They were, they were an embarrassment to their entire culture. And so as Peter sees Jesus approach uh, Levi in this moment, who we know is Matthew. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But when Peter... Uh, sees Jesus approach Levi he's thinking to himself "All right, we hate this guy Jesus is finally going to let somebody have it he's going to let this guy have it and just go after him he's like go get him Jesus and Jesus goes up to Levi who's sitting at his tax collector table and says Levi follow me come follow me and I'm sure in that moment Peter and his buddies were like whoa 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 Jesus if he's in if he's who you're going to invite to follow you then we're out Are there, I mean, Jesus, are there no restrictions? Are there no limits on the kinds of people that you will invite to follow you? But fortunately, Peter and and his guys, they had seen enough from Jesus, they'd heard enough from Jesus at this point to know that he was worth following. So they decided to go ahead and stick it out with him. They decided to follow him. But Jesus invites... Uh, Levi to follow him as well, and Levi says Shh. he gets up from the table and, and he decides to follow Jesus. And he's like, "Where are we going, Jesus?" And Jesus is like, "You know what? I thought we would go over to your house." So Peter's explaining this story to Mark, and it says this: While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, now this is significant because in our time today, uh, having somebody over to your house for dinner—that's that's an important thing. That's a big thing. But at this time, this was massive. This was huge because in that culture, this was this. Dinners together at people's homes were intimate. They were symbolic of something. They were, like, everybody in all of these communities were so close that they knew everybody's business. They knew that Jesus would have been in this man's house. And so everybody knew it. And what this implies is that Jesus was accepting of Levi. But here's the crazy thing. It wasn't just Peter, Andrew, James, John, and Jesus having dinner at Levi's house No, it it gets even worse for them. It says, many people, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So Jesus is like, Levi, follow me. Let's go to your house. And Levi's like, come on, guys, let's shut up shop and uh, we'll call it a day. Invite your friends and family party at my place. Let's go. And they go over to his house. Now, here's what's really interesting. At this point in the story, at this point in what's happening with Jesus... He's already disrupted the lives, he's already interrupted the lives of religious leaders at the time and they don't like it and they've decided they're gonna keep an eye on what Jesus is doing. They're gonna keep an eye on him because they wanna make sure that they know exactly what's going on because they don't like what he's been sharing or what he's been doing and so they follow him over to Levi's house but they wouldn't dare go across the threshold and walk into the house and interact with these people because if they did, they would be considered ceremonially unclean. So here they are outside of the house and it says that when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, they're like, hey, Peter, come here, come here, we got a question for you. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he uh, not eat with us? Why does he give them all of his time? He won't give us any of his time. Why, instead, he spends his time with the worst of the worst. One translation into English from what Mark wrote says, he spends his time with scum. That's how they viewed people like Levi at that time. Jesus is a rabbi. He should know better, in their opinion. And so Peter's like, I don't know. I'll go ask him. And so Peter goes back into the house. He finds Jesus, who's probably around, by the way, Levi and all of his friends, when he says this. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. At which point, I'm sure Levi and his friends and buddies were like, Wait, what? The sick? Jesus, are you calling us sick? To which Jesus would say, yeah. Listen, I know what you guys have been up to. I know the lives that you have been leading. I know the things that you have been doing. I know who you are. But for whatever reason, as Jesus says this, it's somehow not offensive to them. For whatever reason, in that moment, Levi is ready to acknowledge his sinfulness. He's ready to acknowledge his sickness, his brokenness. He's ready uh, to confront that thing. When, When Jesus invites him to follow up to that point, Levi was a nobody. He was an embarrassment to everybody. He he was going to live his life and die and not be remembered and and it was just going to come and go. But now he's been given an invitation, he's been given an opportunity to follow Jesus and he's considering following. And do you think, do you think Matthew knew in that moment what hung in the balance for him following Jesus? The truth is he didn't. We know now we can look back at what hung in the balance for Matthew, but he didn't know. He just knew that there was an invite that was there. And so the question I want to ask you today, first of all, is this, do you know what hangs in the balance of your decision to admit that you need help. You see, you're being given an opportunity today. You're being given an invitation. You may have been given this invitation and opportunity many times in the past from a spouse or or a child who's saying, consider this invitation to follow Jesus. Consider this invitation to have your life completely changed. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of making that decision, what hangs on the other side of it. But I can tell you, there is a whole other world hanging in the balance. There's a whole other freedom. There is a whole other peace that is hanging in the balance for you. There's better relationships with God. There's better relationships with people on the other side of choosing to follow this invitation to follow Jesus. And so you are receiving an open invitation from your Savior today to follow him. So just backing up and, and repeating what we've already heard. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He goes on, I have not come to call, and this word here in call, in the original Greek, it actually means I have not come to invite, I have not come to summon, I have not come to reach out to the righteous, but sinners. And now it's Peter, Andrew, James, and John's opportunity to look up and go, wait, what, Jesus, what? But Jesus, you called me. You called my brother, you called my friends, you you called us. Are you calling us sinners? And Jesus is like, yeah, everybody that I came to call is a sinner. Every single one of you. I've never even met a righteous person, Jesus could say in that moment. Jesus came to call everybody. And here's what's really interesting about this invite that Jesus gives. You see, at that time, up until that uh, moment, all, all religions, like all of them at that time, they did not evangelize. They did not go out trying to get you to convert from your religion to their religion. Even Jews at that time did not try to get you to convert from whatever religion you followed into Judaism. It just wasn't a thing. And Jesus was inviting people into something different. You see, they had all these gods and they had all these things that they uh, would follow and just add on. And so the gods at that time were like apps. If you needed your crops to grow, if you needed your, your kids to be healthy, if you wanted your house to, to not cave in, you, well, there was a God for that. You could just pray to a certain God, follow a certain God. You could just add your God on to what you already believed. And, and so they would, they would say, hey, if you've got something going on that you need something, a God to, to look over or watch over, you could just take your God and, and like metaphorically but also literally speaking, ha- like put their idol or whatever up on the shelf and now you can worship this God as well. You just add those things on. And Jesus is saying, No, 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 no. I am inviting you to something new. I'm inviting you to leave something. I'm inviting you to abandon something and inviting you to embrace something new. And he's extending that invite not only to Peter, Andrew, James, John, and Levi, but he's also extending that invite to you today. And what was that invite? The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You see, all of time to this point, all of creation to this point had been pointing. To this moment in time when Jesus was going to bring this new kingdom, a kingdom of the heart, a kingdom of the mind, a kingdom of of the soul. And he's saying, you are just one turn. That word repent, you are just one turn. You are one decision. You are one shift away from facing and embracing this new thing. And it doesn't matter what place you've come from. It doesn't matter what your practices have been. It doesn't matter what your religion has been. It doesn't matter what language you speak. You are invited to this new thing that I am doing. That's what Jesus was saying. And at this point, Jesus goes into teaching mode. He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, which at that time they would have been like, well, yeah, Jesus, I mean, we, we get that. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense maybe to us, but to, at that time, you didn't throw away clothes. They were expensive. And so instead of throwing them away, you would, you would fix them. You would repair them. But you wouldn't take an old garment and put on a new piece of cloth, because if you did that, Jesus says, otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And they're like, yeah, Jesus, we get that. What's your point? What's your point? And Jesus just continues right along and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. You see wineskins at that time, they were, they were leather bound. They would, uh, they would grow and they would uh, expand and they would crack and they would eventually start to leak. And so Jesus is saying, no, you wouldn't put new wine into old wineskins. Why? Otherwise the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. And so many of you right now are going, no, ruined wine. I get it. So you wouldn't do that, Jesus is saying. they're like, yeah, Jesus would get that. Like what's your point? His point was this, you can't take my brand new teaching, you can't take the, the worldview that I'm trying to bring in this moment and mix it with the old. He's, he says, I'm bringing a new cloth, I'm bringing a new wine to what we're doing. And you can't mix that thing with the old. See this image of torn cloth, the image of burst wineskins, what Jesus is communicating is that it's, it's impossible to blend my new message with the current system that you are living in, the current system that you are, are trying to put on yourself and force on other people. You can't blend these two things together. You can't take my teaching and put it up there on that shelf with the other stuff that you've been taught to this point. You've got to get rid of that stuff and replace it entirely because the two, if you try to blend them together, are completely incompatible. You see, Jesus came to fulfill and replace the entire law with something that was better. And so he's saying, no, 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 here's what you do with that. You pour new wine into new wineskins. You see, a little bit after this, Jesus was going to start talking to his followers about this new movement that he was going to bring. This new gathering, this new assembly, this new ecclesia that we know now as the church and he was about to teach them that he was about to do something new and nothing was going to be able to stop this movement. And as we gather together today as we're in this room, as you're watching online, as people are gathering in churches around the world, we are that new container that Jesus wants to pour this new teaching into. And Peter being the storyteller that he is to Mark, he, he just continues continues on into a new story. He takes a little bit of a turn and starts sharing a new story with him. Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Now this man uh, with a shriveled hand, he probably had some sort of hand atrophy. He probably broke his hand at some point and uh, it probably didn't heal correctly. And he would have been embarrassed by this thing and he, wouldn't, he would have wanted to keep it hidden at all times. And the reason that he would have been embarrassed by this is because in that time, in that culture, it was believed that if you had uh, uh, something like that or you had a, a, a health issue of some sort, it was believed that... That was a direct consequence of your sin or somebody in your family's sin. That was a direct consequence of it. And so it would have been an embarrassing thing for him that he would not have wanted people to see. But somehow in the synagogue, he gets Jesus' attention. He's like, hey, Jesus, check this thing out. But not only does he have Jesus' attention, he also has the attention of some of the uh, religious people of that time uh, because they would have known what was going on with him. They also would have known that Jesus was was coming against some of their, their beliefs and their teachings. And so they would have had their eyes on him as well. In fact, it says some of them, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. You see back then, the Sabbath was so sacred and so important to them, so elevated, so high that it was a, considered a sin to heal or help somebody on the Sabbath. If they were dying, like you could save them from dying, but aside from that, like you can't offer medical attention to somebody on the Sabbath, that was considered wrong if you can believe it. And so Jesus, knowing this, said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. So now this is getting, this is getting worse for this guy. This, this man, is, he's already embarrassed enough, and now Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to stand up in front of everybody. Let's talk about this thing. And it says, then Jesus asked them, meaning the religious leaders, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? Which is the right thing to do, to do good or to do evil? What is Jesus really asking in this moment? He's asking, what was God's purpose with giving us the law in the first place? What was his design in giving us this law in the first place? Was it for us to preserve and keep the rules? Was it for us to follow them and just obey for the pleasure of God? Is is that what he was saying? He's, He's asking, is the law of God for the benefit of God? And maybe you've asked this question from time to time. I've asked this question from time to time in my own life, too. When I was growing up in the church, like I mentioned before, there were times where it was like, are these rules here in place? Like, am I supposed to follow these things for God's pleasure? Or are they there for something else? Jesus is saying, is the law of God for the benefit of God? Or maybe is it for the benefit of those God loves? You see, Jesus is saying, people take precedence over the rules. People are more important than My commands, people are more important than my loss. Those things are there, they're they're important, but they're they're not there for my benefit, they're there for yours. He's saying children aren't for the toys, children aren't for the benefit of the toys, the toys are for the benefit of children. But like like my kids do, and if you're a parent, maybe your kids do this too, uh, when I confront them on something that they've done wrong and I ask them a very simple question. Like the one that Jesus was asking them, where they know the answer, but they don't want to say it. These guys respond in the same way that my kids tend to do. They, they cross their arms and they're like, no, we're not, we're not going to respond to that. Because if they did, they knew that they were giving Jesus permission to pursue this new thing that he was teaching them at this time. And so Mark's writing this down. He's like, Peter, what did they say? What did they say in that moment? And Peter's like, they didn't say anything. They, they remained silent. Because they knew if they answered out loud in that moment that they were going to be held accountable for their words. And if you're here today and you are considering following Jesus, if you're considering Christianity and maybe you've had something happen in your past where somebody has caused you to feel like, uh, like you are condemned or, or out of line for not following certain rules or maybe you've just been treated a, a way that is uncomfortable, I want you to know something today. When, when Jesus was around and when religious leaders twisted his words and twisted the laws and the rules uh, to, to manipulate people, he had something to say about that. He had a response for them. And you should know that he still feels that way about us today if we choose to do those things. It says he looked around at them in anger. It says Jesus was angry. Why was Jesus angry in this moment? He was angry because these guys had taken his father's words. He had taken his father's commands and they had twisted them and they had manipulated them and they had elevated them until those commands, until those rules were more important than the people that his father loved. And he was not okay with that. He was angry about it. And it says, and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, just distressed at the fact that they would not even acknowledge what they knew in that moment to be true. It says, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Now, in the very next verse of what we're reading, the very next verse... We see the response of the Pharisees, of these religious leaders at the time. And the response seems so completely over the top for us because we don't understand why they could, they could respond in this way to Jesus doing something to help somebody. But what we, we miss that they get at that time, what they understood was that their entire way of life, their entire way of controlling and manipulating people and, and following God the way that they thought was right, their entire way of life was in jeopardy. They understood that at the time. So it says that their response was this. It says the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. How they might kill Jesus. I mean, come on, guys. Like, run him out of town. Send him home. Arrest him. But you guys are going to murder a rabbi simply because he healed somebody on the Sabbath? I mean, are you serious right now? But you see, they understood something then that we can tend to miss now, and it's so important. They understood that there was no way to blend the kingdom that they were trying to preserve with the kingdom that Jesus had come to establish. You see, up to this point, well, at every point for that matter, Jesus had come to completely reverse the order of just about everything that they believed at that time. It's why just a few verses before this in Mark's document, it's why we read what we read at the beginning of our time together when Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, God is a good parent. God is a good, loving, heavenly father. And the truth is this. God loves you more than he loves his rules. I'm going to say it again. God loves you more than he loves his rules. So at this point in the story, Jesus is saying all these things. He's, he's mixing things up, changing things up, and, it, and Peter's telling this story to Mark. He says, Now, now Jesus' family shows up. Mary, his mother, and his brothers, uh, they show up. And they came to rescue him. Not from other people, though. They came to rescue him from himself because they thought that he was like, he needed the help at this point. And they said something that doesn't look good for them. They said something that doesn't look great for Jesus in this moment. And what they said is something that you might have said to somebody in your family at one time or another. They said, Jesus is out of his mind. And Mark's writing this down. He's like, wait, you, you sure you want me to write that down, Peter? That they said this thing? All right, why? And Peter's like, yeah, yeah, I want you to write it down. Why? Because it happened. He's like, Mark, I'm not going to sand off the rough edges of the story. I'm not going to try and tidy up the messy parts of the story because these are the things that happened. And right there in the story is where we're going to pick things up next week. So don't miss that. Make sure you're back here next week. But before we go, I just want to give you a couple of quick takeaways today. First of all, if you are here today and you are a sinner, and by the way, you are because we all are. We're all broken. If you are a sinner, you are invited to follow Jesus You're invited today just like Levi was. You're invited to acknowledge that something is wrong with you. You're invited to say, God, I realize something's wrong with me. I realize that something is broken inside of me. I realize I've made a mess of my life and I can't clean it up myself. I need help with this thing. You're invited to follow Jesus. And did you know just as messed up as as our lives are, as messed up as your life is, if if your life was just as messed up and you lived in the first century when Jesus was around and you were near him, he would have made a point to seek you out and he would have made a point to invite you to follow him. And as you made that decision, whether or not you wanted to follow him, if you had the opportunity to stand up from your own tax collector's booth and follow Jesus in that moment and take him to your home, and as you're about to walk into your home, as you're about to open up the messiness of your life to Jesus, as you're about to, to pour that out to him, you might look at that and go, God, I'm, I'm, or Jesus, I'm not super sure that I'm ready to expose this mess to you. I, I feel a bit uncomfortable with it. But you need to know today that Jesus would not be uncomfortable with you. Jesus would not be uncomfortable with your mess. Jesus would be comfortable with you until you were comfortable with him. And so you have an opportunity today to say your own yes, like Levi did, to say your own decision to follow Jesus in this moment. And it's simple. You just say, God, I believe that that, that I'm messed up. I believe that that I am sinful. I believe I'm broken. I believe that I'm sick. And I need help with this thing. And I know that you came to offer that help. I know that you gave your life to offer that help for me. That's as simple as it is. And if you have any more questions about it, if you want any more about that, I would love to talk to you about it after the service today. I'm going to be right here in front of the stage. I'd love to connect with you even more if you're ready to do that and you have questions about it. But if you're here today and you are already a follower, if you're already a follower of Jesus, you are invited to yield to him. You're invited to yield to Jesus. You're invited to, like when you have a moment this week or today or or over the coming years of your life, when you have moments where your will, what you want for your life comes in conflict with what Jesus wants for your life. When Jesus has, what Jesus has led us to do. When those things come up against each other, you have an opportunity to yield to what he wants and to follow his way. That's the, that's the invite for you today. And here's what's really cool, when you say yes to that, when you say yes to following Jesus, you're not saying yes to a bunch of rules, you're not saying yes to a bunch of laws, you're not saying yes to a list of things, you're saying yes to a person. And you're saying yes to a person that gave us one all-encompassing command. One, to love God and to love and treat people the way that Jesus treated you, the way that Jesus treated us. That is the invite from him. This is why we say, by the way, that following Jesus and and not believing Jesus, not just believing Jesus, although that's important. That's an important part of the faith process, believing Jesus. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's important. That's an important part of our faith journey. But I'm not talking about just believing right now. I'm saying when you choose to follow Jesus... It will make your life better and will make you better at life. Why? Because when you choose to love God and love people the way that he loves you, the way that Jesus loved us, when you choose to follow him in that way, that's going to make you a better husband. That's going to make you a better wife. That's going to make you a better child or a better parent, a better employer, employee, a better friend, just a better person. Following Jesus will make you better. Because you're following his way of loving God and loving people. And here's what's really neat about Levi, who, like I said earlier, we know him now as Matthew. He didn't know what hung in the balance of making the decision to follow Jesus. But on the other side of that, what we know now is because of his experiences with Jesus, he had an opportunity to write about that in his own gospel. He wrote one of the four gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this came from his own personal experiences as he was following Jesus around with his life. And one of the things that's unique to Matthew's gospel that's, uh, that he probably heard Jesus say, and it just spoke to him because of his own personal journey in following Jesus. One of the things that he wrote down that Jesus said was this Take my yoke. Upon you, What is a yoke? You have a yoke. It's a way of doing life. It's a way of living life. Jesus is saying, take your way of doing life. Take your way of living life. Set that aside. Set that down and pick up my way. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and I'm humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. If the faith journey that you are on as you follow Jesus doesn't feel restful, if it doesn't feel peaceful, if it doesn't feel loving and it doesn't feel right, You might be trying to take an old system and put this new wine, this new teaching, this new way, and trying to blend the two together. And Jesus didn't come to blend the two. He didn't come to tweak the old. He came to do something completely new. And he came to do something, in his own words, that was near. In fact, he said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Turn face, embrace this new way of living that I'm giving you, of loving people, of loving God, and believe the good news. And if you do that, your life will begin to change. That's what we are being called to. That's this new way of living that Jesus called us to, to love God and love the people around us. It is near. His kingdom is close to you today. I'm gonna pray for us, and then we'll head out of here today. God, I thank you so much for what you are For what you're doing i I thank you for this new thing that you're calling us to i I thank you that that we don't have to live the old way that you take our lives and and you replace them with this new thing that you um as you said you make all things new and i i just i pray that today that this message would not only change my life but change the lives of the people that are watching online the people that are here in this room i pray that you would help us to live out this way this week that if, if we have not made a decision to follow you that that, they, that we would do that today and that we would choose to take on this new way of living that you've offered to us. If, if we are already a follower of you, I pray that when, when things don't go well, when, when our will bumps up against your will, when, when people are, are irritating us or, or we're just having a tough time in life, I pray that you would help us to pick up your way of love, uh, of loving you, loving the people around us, and, and that that would be a draw to you and your kingdom that you said is near to us. We love you, Jesus. We pray it all in your name. Amen.